Good morning and welcome again to Church of the Cross. In the garden this month, uh, while they're out uh, during the service, our children are memorizing the poem In the Bleak Widminter by Christina Rossetti. They'll be reciting it during our candlelight service on Christmas Eve, the 24th. And each week of Advent, they're focusing on learning a different section. Perhaps if you're a parent, you are participating on the home front helping, or you've heard it recited a little bit. I know I have. And the opening stanza of that poem reads, In the bleak winter, frosty wind made moan, earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, in the bleak midwinter long ago. It's this wintry and barren beginning. It's a picture of a, a lifeless, seemingly lifeless landscape, locked in stasis of some kind, stone and iron. There's nothing moving. It's absent the markers of life. Over the past few weeks, I've had the deep privilege of reading and praying over the laments that we brought forward in worship back on November 17th. This week, I prayed and read through each of the cards that we left up here. Personal laments, laments pertaining to the church, to the world. I was deeply moved by the thought and care and by the deep sadnesses put into words in these cards. From the many cards, two phrases in particular stood out that kind of summarized the content, the entire content. One person wrote, evil seems to win out. Someone else wrote, I'm finding it harder and harder to be optimistic. A wintry and barren perspective, we might say. Yet one I suspect we can all identify with some degree. I know I can. Our reading this morning from Isaiah chapter 11, a reading so nice, we read it twice this morning, begins with this quick reference to a similar reality, the stump of Jesse. In the verses and chapters immediately prior to our reading, the prophet Isaiah has described how the people of God have been cut down and destroyed. He paints a bleak and barren picture. Using language that John the Baptist takes up in our gospel reading, he speaks of this axe laying waste to the vineyard of God's people, leaving only a stump to remain, a bleak, seemingly lifeless picture. In times of discouragement, in places of disappointment, it can often feel as though all is and ever will be bleak and barren. As though the earth is hard as iron and water is like a stone, and that's the way it's always going to be. But Advent challenges us. This season challenges us to look, to anticipate, to hope, and trust in something more. That winter does not last forever. That life, growth, new growth are coming that the bleak and barren, the seemingly lifeless, that evil do not win out. But that something and someone better is coming. That there's life and growth shooting up, bearing fruit from what seems like nothing but a dead stump. I was thinking of the old movie Jurassic Park and the tagline, life 
finds a way. As we consider the challenge, the opportunity of Advent, I want to have us focus on three things this morning, three things informed by our reading from Isaiah. First, focus is about on a hope in something beyond us, a hope that is beyond us. Second is the fear of the Lord. And the third is the spirit that is with us. Three things, three features that come to the fore in this Isaiah reading that might inform our Advent, our season together. Before we jump in, let's pause in prayer. Gracious God, it is good to be together. It is good to be in your presence this morning. We thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of your spirit. But we also just acknowledge that we do come this morning with disappointments and discouragements, with weary and confused hearts and minds. Perhaps we come even with a sense of the earth as iron, the water as stone. There's something lifeless. We do ask that by your word and by your spirit, the same spirit that inspired the writing of these words, that you would speak a life-giving word to us this day, that you would minister to our weary and broken hearts, that you would restore and bring to life, Lord, we as your people. In the strong name of Jesus we pray, amen. So first, a hope, a hope in something beyond us. The final verses of our reading from Isaiah 11 contain these incredible and evocative images. In verses 6 through 10, we have this vivid picture of a world in harmony, not bleak or barren, but peaceful, at rest, where predator and prey lie down together because both are fed and satisfied where conflict and danger have been so removed that this infant, this child, can safely thrive, explore in what we expect is a place of great danger. Some of our kids playing this morning before the service actually found a snake, but I don't think it was a viper or cobra. But even when I heard, they're like, oh, we found a snake, we're going to catch it. I had that moment of like, I don't know if that's a good idea. (laughs) gets at the image here. So much of what you each articulated, you so thoughtfully wrote in your laments, is captured by this evocative imagery. Some have seen in these verses a picture of God's concern for the ecological world, a picture of creation cared for, knit together, working the ways God intended. Others have pointed to the various animals and the ways they might stand in for the nations and peoples of the world, living in security and peace together. In our reading from Romans 15, Paul points to the way this language suggests how the nations, the Gentiles, nations that we're a part of are brought in by God's grace to share in his promise. That picture of a child leading them, there's something so evocative and powerful about that that the world is put right as a safe place, a place for the innocent and pure of heart. What is perhaps most striking, or at least what I'd like to focus on this morning, is how this image of a world at peace, at rest, is beyond us. This is not a picture of human work brought to completion. There's no education project, political program that can make for what is pictured here. No amount of human effort or good work makes it safe 
for a child to be at home with poisonous snakes. This is a picture of a world transformed in radical ways that are beyond us. Part of the invitation of the season of Advent is to not do anything. It can feel very passive, helpless even. We're waiting, not working, not killing it, not hashtag winning. We're waiting. With that emphasis, we're invited to get in touch with the truth that what we ultimately hope for, what we most deeply long after, what we most desire, is actually beyond our means of acquiring, of making real. The world we imagine we long after is ultimately not one of our own making. We're, for, we're waiting for something, something better, beyond us. The concluding verses of our reading suggest that this picture, this picture of a world, a creation made right and at rest, is connected with the knowledge of the Lord. They shall not hurt or destroy, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. We're used to thinking about knowledge perhaps as something we acquire, right? Like I was sitting in a coffee shop this week and the person next to me was doing some kind of LSAT prep and they're working really hard. And we have a sense of like, oh, I, I read that Wikipedia article, now I can go impress my friends. I've acquired the knowledge, processed it, and now it is mine to give. The knowledge of the Lord here, however, is better thought of as knowledge that is a gift. It's given. It's given to us. You might think of it in relational terms, right? You can know a lot about someone, but to know them, they have to give something of themselves to you. At the root of the hope that Advent invites us into is not this completion of our own work, this bettering of ourselves. Even this ridding ourselves of social ills. But at the root of it is this knowledge of the Lord this gracious, generously given knowledge. When we name the ongoing strife we see in the world, when we lament the environmental destruction, when we grieve over our loneliness, our depression, the fact that we cannot have children, the heaviness of our hearts, we're pointing to problems that find their ultimate resolution in the knowledge of the Lord that will be ultimately overcome when he makes himself known fully and completely. Part of Advent is an opportunity to recognize, to still ourselves, and acknowledge that the longings we have, the longings of our world, are satisfied ultimately in the knowledge of Israel's God, the Father of Jesus. To take stock of the ways our longings outstrip our means and abilities but recognize the way that they, the hopes and fears of all the years, are met in him. I recently watched this documentary film called Minding the Gap by the filmmaker Bing Liu. It's really wonderful. And the, the film focuses on the experiences of Liu and two of his friends growing up and skateboarding in Rockford, Illinois. And specifically, the film focuses on their experiences related to domestic abuse. Each of them, in some way, is marked. And at the film's aching climax, various figures grapple, grapple with these experiences. A mother, confronted by the suffering of her children, 
longs to go back and undo the past. An abuser contends with how his own decisions have led to life circumstances that he can no longer tolerate. The worst part of it, he says, is it's all my own making. Each of these individuals in their own language, in their desire expressed for a fresh start, for freedom from their past, their own worst impulses, are making this clear, this plaintive cry for grace, for something beyond themselves, for the inbreaking of God's gracious action in their lives. They're hungering after, longing after, one who is able, in the language of Lord of the Rings, to make all the sad things untrue. That's not in our ability. That's not in our power. It's not a human endeavor. Isaiah's vision is a a vision of a world transformed. It's not the consummation of your work and my work, but it's the completion of something being done for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And Advent invites us to get into, to get used to that place, the discomfort of it, the challenge of it, but also the hope. This idea of one who might come to make all sad things untrue leads us to the shoot and branch that Jesse, uh, of Jesse that Isaiah identifies early on. And this leads to fear, the fear of the Lord. At the center of this hopeful picture, the world made new in the language of Isaiah is this branch or root, the Messiah, named and described as a shoot from the stump of Jesse in verses 1 through 5. This figure with that language is clearly associated with David, Jesse's son, Israel's greatest and most celebrated king. And it's this king and his righteous and faithful reign that make possible for the knowledge of the Lord to be made known, right? The final verse is the nations drawn to this root of Jesse. This is who Isaiah describes this root, this branch to be, this one at the center of making all things new. And Isaiah sees him this way specifically because of the spirit he has. The spirit of the Lord rests upon him. In the Old Testament, the spirit of the Lord makes all all manner of appearances. He inspires prophets, empowers judges and kings for their unique tasks and special moments. But in the language of one scholar, the spirit is usually this tumultuous and unpredictable one who comes in contrast with what Isaiah describes here, the spirit at rest. The relationship between this one, the branch, the root of Jesse, and the spirit is different. The spirit of the Lord is at home with him in this unparalleled way. We might say the spirit Airbnb'd with others, came and went, but he moves in permanently. He takes up residence with the Messiah uniquely. And because of that, this figure acts in different and striking ways. He has all these characteristics, might, discernment, moral clarity, righteousness, and faithfulness are his. Isaiah lists all these qualities that the Spirit endows, empowers. But he repeats one. He repeats only one. The fear of the Lord. It seems that this fear of the Lord is specially significant in the Messiah's life and role. 
That phrase, the fear of the Lord, is one we might have a little bit of trouble with, I suspect. The invitation of Jesus and God the Father is to an experience of authority and leadership that we don't have to fear in any way as coercive or abusive. He's gentle and lowly of heart, a a friend of sinners, the lover of souls. What then of fear? The disposition that's named here as fear might better be described as awe or reverence for. His delight shall be in the awe of the Lord. He will have regard, reverence, deference toward the Lord. I went for a walk this week in in and around the parish house, and I was noticing all the new construction, and there was even one part where there was like an active construction scene, and kind of like walked up there just like, oh, I want to see what's going on. What are they building? And there was a, like one of those diggers working there and a bunch of guys in hard hats and stuff. And as I got close, I could tell one individual was kind of like, you're getting pretty close. You're getting pretty close. And I didn't realize there's like a huge hole like right there. And I could tell he was just like, just chill out. Just like. <laughs> and in a way, he's inviting me to like have a healthy fear, right? Like have a regard, look around. You're not prepared for what is going on. Have deference. Act in regard to the circumstances around you. Journalist Bill Moyers describes in one of his books about the experience of watching the launch of an Apollo rocket. He writes, it was a night launch and there were hundreds of cynical reporters all over the town drinking beer, wisecracking, waiting for this 35-story high rocket. The countdown came and then the launch And the first thing you see is this extraordinary orange light, which is just about the limit of what you can bear to look at. Everything's illuminated with this light. And comes this thing slowly rising up in total silence because it takes a few seconds for the sound to come across. And then you hear this whoosh and mmm in your chest. It enters right into you. You can practically hear jaws dropping. The sense of wonder fills everyone in the whole place as this thing goes up. The first stage ignites this beautiful blue flame. It becomes like a star, but you realize there are humans in there. And then there's total silence. And people just get up quietly, helping each other. They're kind. They open doors. They look at one another, speaking quietly and interestedly. These were suddenly moral people because the sense of wonder, the experience of wonder, had made them moral. There's something of the fear of the Lord in that. This sense of awe and wonder at who God is, this just and perfect judge, this wondrous light of the world that transforms how we live. It's perhaps an unusual thing to consider Jesus' life as a life of wonder, lived out of the experience of awe and wonder at God the Father. But the entirety of Jesus' life as the Gospels capture it is lived in reference to, with reference for, his Father. Jesus is constantly going off to be alone with him. He makes explicit mention of how he does, he says, he judges, he acts only in accord with what he sees the Father doing, with what he knows the Father desires. The root of Jesse, his work of setting all things right, beginning new creation, takes place entirely in reference to the Father, out of a sense of wonder and regard for him. This 
is perhaps a glimpse of what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. Not cowed, not in terror or panic, but in awe and reverence for the living God. The Advent season encourages us to situate ourselves, to to see ourselves as living between these two moments in time, the two Advents of Christ, His coming that we mark at Christmas and His coming again with justice and judgment. And to live then as though these are the defining markers of our lives. To see ourselves fundamentally as those who wait for the Lord, for Him to set things right. And when we view ourselves, our lives in this way, our living takes on this different sort of shape. We live differently, distinctly, with reference to His words, His judgment, His purposes and plans. You might say we live for a different kind of audience. I love movies. I read movie criticism. And sometimes critiques of movies will say, the movie was good, there's a group of actors, but this one actor seemed to think they were in a different movie. The way they acted and behaved was out of step with all the others. They seemed to think it was a, a, a uproarious comedy when actually it was a drama or something like that. This perhaps gets at some of what this might animate in us, that those who are marked by the fear of the Lord follow a different script, are, are unafraid of the things the world says they should be afraid of, but live in deference to and reverence for someone else. This fear, this awe, this reverence, this wonder is ultimately the work of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit we see in Isaiah that that makes this a reality in the Messiah's life. But we can cooperate and participate in that work. We can confront and remind ourselves of reality, that life is lived before God, that He is a just judge making things new, holding people to account that his perspective is of ultimate priority. By stilling ourselves in his presence, listening, working to listen to his word, by seeking his presence among others in the service of the poor, by worshiping together. These are the actions of the fear of the Lord and that cultivate this fear, this wonder, the regard, the reverence, that cultivate or animate a life that honors him. The second thing was the fear of the Lord, that this is the Spirit's work even as we cooperate in it leads us to the third and final thing, the Spirit that is with us. In Isaiah's imagery, the shoot of Jesse comes forward not only from this stump, but also bears fruit. That is, it's not this picture of a single shoot or branch that makes a way but a a single shoot or branch that then leads to this picture of verdant, green, life-filled new creation. You know, the University of Texas has that slogan, what happens here changes the world. That's the point made here, that this shoot, what happens here, bears fruit, changes the world, changes lives. Three of our readings this morning make mention of the Spirit. And the Spirit is not a figure that often plays a a significant role in our Advent or Christmas reflection and celebration. 
Yet the Spirit plays this essential role in the story and in this season. It's the Spirit who inspires the songs of Mary and Zechariah, who fills John the Baptist, enabling him to minister and prophesy in the ways we saw in our reading this morning. It's the Spirit that overshadows Mary. It's the Spirit that Jesus points to when he begins his life and ministry. The Spirit is intimately involved with what we celebrate at Christmas and is at the center of what we anticipate and hope for this Advent. Our gospel reading identifies Jesus, the Messiah, this shoot or branch, as the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That is, he is the one who plunges us into this reality. And it's by this Spirit that he multiplies, he bears fruit in us, with us. In the Advent season... In these weeks, as we speak of, we remember Christ's first coming, and we speak of and anticipate His coming again, His second advent. We may ignore or forget His presence with us now. We're waiting, we're longing, we look in many ways over a bleak and barren situation, lamenting and hoping for it all to be made new, but we're not bereft. We don't wait as orphans. But in the Holy Spirit, we wait in and with Christ's presence, with the presence of the Lord. So this season, perhaps the invitation is to stillness, to what feels like passivity, waiting. Perhaps it's to fear, awe, reverence of the Lord. Perhaps also it's an invitation to remember His coming now, today, Daily, what the Book of Common Prayer calls his daily visitation. We don't wait, we don't lament and grieve as those with no hope, with no experience, with no taste of that which we hope for. God's presence in creation is not merely a fact of history or an anticipated far-off possibility. It's a present reality that can be known and tasted today in your life. And this Advent season as a season of the Spirit is as much an invitation to know and experience the reality of God's presence with you as it is to remember that you wait and long after the fullness of that presence. God is with you today. His kingdom is coming to fruition in your life by His Holy Spirit. His life springing up in and through you, bearing fruit. The final verse of our New Testament reading explicitly links an experience of the Spirit with trust. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and hope in the power of the Spirit as you trust in Him. Perhaps then we might hear the invitation as an invitation to trust. To trust in the one who's now turning what seems like iron and stone to a reality of rest and peace, new creation. To entrust, come to this table with expectancy that he has what you need and cannot provide for yourself. To today or this week in some tangible way set your hope in him. Live in deference towards him 
turn the other cheek, extend the hand of hospitality, embrace the hurting and lonely in his name. At long last, the invitation to trust might be to simply ask. Ask for an awareness of his presence, the knowledge of his presence. The very act of asking may be the act of trust he calls you to. To say, it's been so long, my heart feels as iron or stone. But I trust that you who make all things new can bring to life this barren and bleak place. Whatever it is, that act of trust, we do it all with a sense that he will be faithful to his promise, giving joy and peace, hope and power. New life, new creation, in and with you and I today. Let's pray. Gracious God, thinking of the situations that we come from and the things that we carry into this space, the burdens, the longings, the questions, we do just acknowledge that what we hope for, what we need, we cannot provide on our own. But you, you as the one who makes all things new, you who brings to life that which is dead, you can do it. You can bind up our broken hearts. You can perform the miracles that we need. And you are bringing to completion your new creation in which we hope and long for. Would you now, by your Holy Spirit, strengthen us in our waiting and cultivate, foster in us a reverence and awe for you Give us a glimpse of who you are this day. Remind us of your glory and goodness that might then change how we act and move in this world. And for those of us who are heavy-hearted, for whom the waiting seems so very long, would you today give us trust and faith and give us an experience of your presence with us, we ask, in your mercy and by your goodness. Remind us of your daily visitation. Remind us of your presence, your spirit, in, with, and for us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.